Previously on Transformers University, we took a look at the conditions of the world in 1984 that led to the popularity of the Transformers, and we sat down with Jim Shooter, former Marvel editor-in-chief and creator of the Transformers backstory, as today we launch to what it was all for, to promote a toy line on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University, a TFU.info podcast. I am your host, Anthony Brutali, and today we take a look at the first year of the toy line. We head back to 1984, and we look at what everything was done for, what the cartoons, the comics, and everything else that went with it as far as uh, marketing materials go and world building goes. It was to sell toys, and so we're going to look at those toys and uh, speaking of selling toys, I um, hope you really enjoyed that interview we did with Jim Shooter in the last episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. It was great to meet him and uh, chat with him for a bit. And one of the things he mentioned uh, in reference to G.I. Joe was that they would make a commercial to run in the show for the comic book to kind of skirt around the laws of advertising within the show for the toys that are being marketed on the show. And Transformers was no different. Uh, the first Transformers commercial, uh, from what I can dig up, uh, using the internet and tfwiki.net. If you don't know about tfwiki.net, it will be a huge resource to you if this is uh, something you uh, find interesting. Uh, the first commercial for Transformers didn't even show any toys. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the Transformers. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Transformers, robots in disguise. Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers from Marvel Comics. And it's interesting to note in that spot that the animation of Optimus Prime transforms and forms into the pose that is on the first uh, cover of Marvel number one Transformers. And uh, kind of neat. So let's take a look at what made up the 1984 Transformers Tory line. Um, now I could do a whole episode on pre-Transformers and maybe I will. Uh, shoot me an email. Info at tfu.info or hit me up on Twitter at, at underscore tfu.info. Uh, Whoa, got my Twitter wrong. At TFU underscore info. And uh, let me know what you think. Uh, if you want an episode on pre-Transformers, I know a few good people for this. And uh, it would be great to do a conversation on that. But uh, as of right now, let's just touch on this very briefly because I want to focus from 84 on. And I don't want to take too far of a step back. But the main thrust of the Transformers toy line in 1984 came from two failed toy lines by Takara in Japan. Now, many of you might know, Takara is kind of Transformers... Actually, not kind of. Takara is Hasbro's partner on Transformers for the entire run of the series and of the toy line. And they help engineer uh, the robot figures from one form to another. And they're 
integral in the design process and the creation of the toys. And uh, Transformers originally came from two failed Takara toy lines, uh, mainly. And those two toy lines are Microchange, which was part of the Microman series, and those toys were mainly role-play toys. They were the kind of toys you would see that would transform into objects. So they would turn into, for example, Megatron turns into a gun. So kids can role-play and play, you know, guns with it. And Soundwave turned into a cassette deck, and he had his cassettes. And those turned into things that were very realistic-looking and almost scale to life little smaller but the, the idea was that it was meant for kids to play with uh, those toys came out of the micro change line as well as the mini bots and we'll get to those in just a little bit the rest of the line came from a series of toys called diaclone now diaclone were piloted robots so there were these robots that had little pilot toy men that had magnets on their feet and those magnets would allow them to attach to the die cast metal in the toy in the toys construction and uh, would secure them in the seat and so those toys in the first year were the were Optimus Prime and the Autobot cars and uh, the Decepticon jets and there would be more Diaclone toys added in the next year but for now let's focus on 1984 and just as another note we're only going to focus on uh, United States releases so USA releases only just for the time being, just for simplicity's sake and for sake of length of the show. And, and we can certainly bunch some of that other great stuff from around the world into some other future shows. But before we start with the Autobots, we need to talk about one other thing that's very important. And that is the uh, tech spec bios that were included on the packaging for the toys. Um, this was something that was starting to trend in the early 80s. Uh, it started with I wouldn't say it started with G.I. Joe, but as far as Hasbro's concerned, it was part of their makeup for G.I. Joe and their success with G.I. Joe. So they um, ported it over to Transformers in that allowing a Marvel writer, in this case, Bob Budiansky, uh, who was the writer of the comic, to develop these characters uh, for the cartoon, for the comic, and for the toy, and kind of have them be lined up in each one. Um, and there were some mistakes, which we'll get into, which is uh, some more interesting stuff about the tech spec bios but these bios also gave kids a chance to kind of preview who their toy was and and kind of develop you know play patterns around parameters set forth on the back of the packaging and that's that's very uh, interesting because it wasn't so freeform you could say maybe it takes some of the imagination out of it um because you're not starting from scratch but for some kids uh and even for me as a child uh it helped it it added a realm of um, framework uh, to the play pattern and it gave you an idea of okay well this guy is this and this person has this attitude and this person thinks this way and certainly lined a lot of things up to make uh, each toy interesting before you even bought it because uh, you could look at, at the back of the package and say I kind I don't kind of like this guy I don't like what he sounds like I'm gonna find someone else and so the toy bios are very important to the nature of the toy and the character it represents. So we will punch into the bios every so often when we talk about the toys. Now, let's start with the Autobots. And the smallest and simplest wave of the Autobots were the Minibots. Now, these retailed for about 3 bucks, And they were based 
from a Takara toy line as well. They were from Microchange, and the Microchange toys were actually based on another Takara toy line called Choro-Q. But in the United States, that Choro-Q line was brought here as Penny Racers. 20 zany looking cars you can collect. Six of them glow in the dark. Each sold separately. That's Penny Racers. Sun Devil and Grizzly Gazer. Penny for each car not included. You caught the wheelie. That's Penny Racers. Classy cars you can race and chase. F1 Dragon and Moonvan glow in the dark. Look at it glow. That's Penny Racers. Penny Racers, Sun Devil, Grizzly Gazer, F1 Dragon and Moonvan, each sold separately from Takara. And important to note in that commercial, the penny is not included with the penny racers. And uh, for those not familiar with the toys, so they were little super deformed cars that had pullback motors. And you could slide a penny in the back of uh, this little section behind the spoiler, behind the trunk. And uh, it would allow, it would weight the car down slightly so that you could do tricks with it. So it would pop a wheelie or it would uh, roll in a circle of some kind. Uh, depending on how you place the penny. So, based off of that, the Minibots were created in that same vein uh, for their vehicle forms. And uh, the most famous of these Minibots, and arguably one of the most famous Transformers of all time, probably top three, um, is Bumblebee. And the first Bumblebee character and the first Bumblebee toy was part of this Minibots assortment. And uh, he was the Kid Appeal character in the show. Uh, going off the toy bio, he was the Kid Appeal character there as well. And his toy bio, the quote was particularly important when it says, the least likely can be the most dangerous. And it goes on to talk about how Bumblebee idolizes the bigger and the uh, stronger Autobots and uh, uh, is super brave, but uh, requires uh, stealth because he is also the weakest. And... If that doesn't speak to a kid in a world of adults where you're told you're too small, you're too little, you're too this, you're too that, uh, that is the appeal of Bumblebee right off the bat to kids. And that is why he's probably the most important character in this Minibots assortment. He's also the one closest to looking like a Penny Racers toy in that the flap that folds out to form his head is about the same size as the little slot that was used for the Penny. In the penny racers now that that transformation is pretty basic for bumblebee it's pull out his arms extend the front part of the car to form his uh, upper legs and then fold the front end of the car up to form his feet and there you have it now he varied wildly from his depiction on screen in the show in that his wheels were attached to his arms on the toys so most of the um artwork you'd see in the comics and in the show would eventually reflect the cartoon design where his wheels are hidden um, and he's a little bit more proportionate uh, to human features. Uh, his head would also have a addition of uh, horns, which are kind of on the toy, but uh, aren't so pr pronounced uh, in the face sculpt. Also, similar to Bumblebee, there was also Cliffjumper. Cliffjumper shared a very similar mold uh, to Bumblebee, same transformation, uh, and he was red. I uh, turned to a super deformed Porsche, and he was kind of a mold mate to Bumblebee. And the the interesting thing here with the Cliffjumper and Bumblebee toys is that while Bumblebee was yellow and Cliffjumper was red, Hasbro manufactured Bumblebee also in red and Cliffjumper also in yellow uh, to make the line look bigger. 
uh, as noted by a former Hasbro executive uh, in an interview. So in that, we get our first big variant that uh, kids didn't weren't like clued into like they were now. Uh, there's no website telling you that, yeah, there's two versions. It was just you saw it in the store and you said, wow, that Bumblebee's red or they, that Cliff Jumper is yellow. Why? And um, in addition to that, there was a fifth toy that was often packaged as Bumblebee or Cliff Jumper. And that has been uh, subsequently named Bumper. Um, though through the years in the fandom, it was also called Bumble Jumper or Cliff B. Um, but Bumper is actually a completely different mold that never got a name as far as the uh, Transformers toy line goes, but it was the sedan from the MicroChange line in yellow with a completely different face, but a same transformation as the other two toys. And so it's also worth noting that because he was only included in the 1984 line, whereas the rest of the Minibots were released again in 1985, uh, Bumper is probably the hardest to find of the Minibot figures. Moving on, there was Braun, who uh, was a green truck and uh, was the strong guy, as uh, noted by his Tech bio. And this is something interesting that the large green guy in Transformers tends to be the strong man uh, later on in, in various fictions. So uh, you have Braun, and later on in Transformers Animated, you'll have Bulkhead as well as the bulkhead in Transformers Prime, who's a different character, but also the green strongman. And then even in the 2015 Robots in Disguise series, Grimlock uh, is the green dinosaur, who is also the uh, strongest member of the team. Uh, with the Minibots, you also have Huffer, an orange uh, truck cab, and Gears, who is a uh, blue truck, uh, both super deformed. Both characters uh, are presented as uh, somewhat cranky in various different ways. And uh, the Gears toy is important um, because it's what I like to call a fold mold. Um, I'm sure there are better fan terms for this, but uh, it's one where you pop out the arms and you fold the legs over and you have a robot. The front underside of the car is the robot head. The arms and shoulders fall, form out of the front wheels and the feet form from the trunk and rear area of the car by being hinged at the knee and standing the toy up. And uh, this is something you'll see for years and years and years later uh, as one of the most efficient and basic Transformers transformations. And one other like that that also shares that kind of transformation and the final mini-bot in the series is Wind Charger. And for more on Windcharger, we toss it over to Radio Free Cybertron's own Headmaster Don. Windcharger is one of the simplest Transformers ever, but it is also one of my favorite. He's just, he got so little screen time, but I just love the figure and I love the character. Thanks, Don, for that insight. And, and if you want to catch more of Don and the Radio Free Cybertron gang, uh, please be sure to check out their podcast, Radio Free Cybertron. You can find that at www.tfradio.net. And really, what else can you say about Windcharger? He had a, a neat toy, it was a red car, and uh, didn't get a lot of screen time. And uh, he's the basic fold mold kind of Transformer that uh, proliferated in the early 80s at the dawn of these Transforming toys. And it's important to note that because uh, these Minibots are kind of the early foundation 
for just about everything else to come because they needed to be simple. They needed to be small. They needed to look like two different things. And um, they certainly set the tone for what the other figures in the future would be. All right, so let's talk more Autobots. And let's talk about the Autobot cars. Now, these were all designed out of the Diaclone line and uh, were mostly straight repaints or even just brought over with some slight color changes or sticker changes. Um, and we're going to start with Sunstreaker. Now, Sunstreaker is believed to be the first Transformers toy ever designed to go from car and to robot. Um, and this was just designed by Takara. It was originally designed in red and a police version, which was white with police bars on it. And uh, this toy transforms from basically a flat uh, Lamborghini-style car, because it's not an actual real Lamborghini. It's a modified one with um, engines on its back. Sunstreaker transforms by pulling the legs out, flipping them up, unfolding the fists from inside the underbody of the vehicle and then flipping the top down to reveal the head and the fists actually are a separate piece that need to be plugged into the arms in the Japanese versions a lot of the uh, plug-in missiles and fists and things like that were spring-loaded um, but due to safety regulations in the United States those springs were either removed or uh, neutered to be very weak so that um, they could pass safety tests in the US so the Japanese versions tend to have stronger, uh, more powerful springs. Or uh, the U.S. versions tend to not have springs at all. So that was basically Sunstreaker. And he, you could put a missile into his forearm wrist socket. Or you could put a fist in there. And he had his fists. And he had his shoulder mount um, missiles as well. And going from Sunstreaker to Sideswipe, uh, in the fiction, those two were brothers. Now Sideswipe tends to be very similar to a fold mold in that his the back of his legs don't fold over, but they just separate and pull back. You flip down the feet, you pull out the arms from the side, and you flip over the chest, the, the hood of the car, to form the chest. This is another Transformers design that has persisted through the years. And being the, uh, the red Lamborghini, Sideswipe is often one of the more popular characters in the fiction and in the toy lines. Uh, throughout. Now it's interesting to note with Sideswipe and Sunstreaker a couple of things. Uh, first off with Sunstreaker the red Diaclone version was released in the US prior to Transformers coming out uh, under the Diacron toy line. Uh, so there are versions of that floating around but it, they do exist prior to the Transformers toy line so they aren't actually that figure isn't actually a Transformer per se. Next mold we're going to talk about is the mold used for both Prowl and Blue Streak. And for more on that, we're going to go to the gamer going gray with more. Blue Streak, like most of the Autobots from the 1984 toy line, was a repurposed Diaclone toy. Based on the Datsun 280ZX, he sports a striking silver and black color scheme with use of red highlights throughout. From vehicle to robot mode, the transformation is simple. The doors fold out into makeshift wings, the rear folds downward and twists into the stationary legs and feet, and the semi-articulated arms unfold from the undercarriage, allowing the hood to hinge down revealing the head. He comes with two shoulder-mounted missile launchers and a silver gun. 
Quality-wise, Blue Streak suffers from the malady that many of the Diaclone figures do. He holds together like cinder blocks tied with tissue paper. Many second-hand figures can be found with the doors, roof, or rear windows missing due to breakage. The missile launchers also rarely fire, but luckily hold the missiles nicely in place. One perpetuating misconception of Transformers lore is the presence of a blue Blue Streak toy. No sealed and boxed figures have ever been found, yet most likely due to the blue Diaclone variant being photographed in the original catalog, people have memories of playing with the figure. And you can catch more from David on his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash bluestreak7. That's youtube.com slash bluestreak and the number 7. And that's a great point uh, Dave brings up in that uh, the blue blue streak is still one of the biggest myths uh, in the Transformers fandom. And those toy catalogs certainly fueled a lot of that. But those were also a lot of fun to look at when you were a kid to see what else was out there and uh, certainly fueled a lot of imaginations as to uh, what the toys do and what the toys look like. Going from Blue Streak, like, he, uh, like David mentioned, there was Prowl, and Prowl was the same toy um, for the most part, just with uh, a different color scheme and added police lights. Uh, also, similar transformation to those two was uh, Jazz. And Jazz is the Autobot car that turns into a Porsche. Uh, he's white with... Uh, various stickers on them including for martini racing uh, which they added a second eye to to avoid copyright laws because there is an actual martini racing and you know it's important to note the uh, the jazz and the prowl and blue streak transformations in that uh, the doors is wings is another uh, persistent design theme throughout the transformers toy line and transformers history and and those three toys all have it the hood um, as a way to hide the arms uh, and the tires being used as the shoulder pivot point are all part of that. And uh, the Jazz Toy would later be offered without the Martini Racing stickers um, as a giveaway from Cookie Crisp Cereal. Now another important uh, character who had a, uh, or pair of characters really, that had a toy that was vastly different from their show model and their... Um, their cartoon model, and even in the comics beyond uh, a couple of uh, panels, were Ratchet and Ironhide. And uh, Ironhide was portrayed in the toy bio as being Optimus Prime's bodyguard, and the character itself was a bit of a uh, veteran amongst the uh, Autobots. And for more on that, I'm going to toss to another veteran, my friend Gabe Owens, also known as the Salty Seaman. Of all the iconic characters in the original 1984 line, none undergone more transition from the toys to fiction, possibly, than Ironhide and Ratchet. Uh, the original toys are based on an early 80s Japanese van, that, uh, which both modes, uh, the original toys and the, uh, the fictionalized versions from the cartoon and comic, Stay pretty much the same. Ironhide is a red van, and uh, Ratchet is a redo of him as an ambulance, complete with the, uh, you know, with the with the ambulance top on it. The, uh, the the robot modes, however, are a completely different story. What you're looking at there is a uh, the original toys uh, came. They did not have faces. They had the 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 
windshield popped up that kind of acted as a face. And they had these big old uh, tire treads, or tank, like almost like tank treads for legs. And of course, the uh, people growing up with the cartoon remember Ironhide and Ratchet having very, you know, unique and recognizable faces. The, uh, the the windshield was down on their chest, and from pretty much then on out, that's that's the look they had. That no one really ever uh, paid much attention to those original toys. Which uh, also, besides that, they also had kind of a. Uh, the, the shell basically asked, acted as a kind of a, a med kit for Ratchet and like a, I guess a war kit for Ironhide. But you only, like both those modes you saw briefly in the early, <clears throat> in the very early comics, like the first two issues. And then they switched to the designs that uh, were used in the, uh, what everyone knows from the cartoon. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of a shame we don't see uh, a return to that a little bit. Uh, mostly today, they talk Ironhide and Ratchet, or you see new toy versions of them. They're always based on the the television designs, and I think the original toy designs are pretty neat. They get they have a very kind of creepy uh, alien robot vibe, which I think I like because these are alien robots. They don't need to have human looking faces. You know, I think things that made like Shockwave and Whirl the next year's line stand out. You know, it's kind of that complete kind of inhumanness. Which I think, you know, which I, I think those those two toys really gave the line. But uh, unfortunately, and they're 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 fairly decent toys for their time as well. But uh, yeah, they don't get the kind of love I think they probably deserve. And you can catch more from Gabe on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash/recharge138. That is YouTube.com/slash/recharge138 for his channel, The Salty Seaman, and. Ratchet and Ironhide certainly didn't get much love when it comes to their toy design. In fact, the repair bay uh, for both of them only showed up uh, a handful of times, uh, particularly in Marvel Comics number one, uh, when the characters are introduced. Uh, some other odd art artwork that we'll talk about later on, various coloring books and things like that. And uh, once in the first episode of the Transformers cartoon do we see the repair bay from the toy, um, which has uh, gone on to be unofficially referred to as the one-box component uh, as per tfwiki.net, and that is a reference to the car's design in that it is a one-box style van uh, for both Ironhide and Ratchet and that uh, the engine, the trunk, and the passenger compartments all kind of fit into one piece whereas in most cars they would be what's called a three box design where the engine and the trunk would be separate sections from the passenger area moving on to wheeljack who was often paired with ratchet in the uh, fiction as being the mechanical engineer uh, the mad scientist of the autobots he uh varied a bit from his show model in the toy as a lancia stratos with alitalia also misspelled stickers on his car and um show model didn't have two shoulder mounted launches launchers whereas the the toy did and wheeljack is the one mold which had a diaclone retooling uh of a marlboro wheeljack known as marlboro uh as per the packaging and later as the decepticon exhaust um 
in the masterpiece line uh, where it was Wheeljack with a different head and painted to look like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes. And you can actually see pictures of this Marlboro Wheeljack on my site at tfu.info. And I'll include that link in the show notes for this show. So you can go right there. But if you Google Marlboro Wheeljack, tfu.info link will be one of the first ones you see. Another toy that didn't really um, didn't have a counterpart as far as its mold uh, was Mirage. And uh, Mirage is a very special toy to a lot of fans. Um, it's actually a pretty good toy as far as the uh, posability of the arms and interesting transformation and just color scheme and design are. But uh, it's particularly a special toy to Radio Free Cybertron's Brian Kilby. It was 1984, and my God, I was so happy. It was Christmas, and I was just so anxious, and I just, my hands were sweaty, and I just didn't know what to do. I ripped her open and just got my hands on it, and then pop! Just prematurely just lost it forever. Mirage, I'll always remember breaking that Transformer. It haunts me to this day. And that's what I hear from a lot of fans, uh... That uh, that Mirage toy broke very easily. I didn't have one as a kid. I had one as an adult, so I've been very careful as to not break that toy. But I guess it's the the hip area of that toy rotates uh, 360, and it's it's needed to turn the uh, the back end of the car around to form the feet and the legs, and uh, it just pops, and that's what happens. Uh, you know, another toy that really didn't break that easily because it was so small and so compact was Hound. And Hound, in the cartoon, seemed to appear to be the Kid Appeal character in the first few episodes before shifting to Bumblebee. And Hound's a green jeep, and he um, he has very short arms, more so than any other uh, toy uh, in this year. Uh, it comes with a lot of accessories, uh, a vehicle-mounted gun, a gas can, a tire, uh, his shoulder-mounted weapon, three missiles for that, and a handgun as well. Um, and he's kind of one of the more uh, bland toys uh, from 84 and from the Diaclone line. Moving on, the last of the Autobot cars that we'll talk about today is Trailbreaker. Trailbreaker was a black SUV. Um, And similar to Sunstreaker, his fists uh, were not attached. They were added in as uh, missiles that you plug into his forearms, as well as the uh, metal component you plug behind his head. And he was very similar in transformation to Sideswipe in that you pull out the side panels to form his arms, you flip out his legs, you move his hood, to become his chest, and his head reveals from the passenger compartment. And Trailbreaker is interesting, and in, 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 along with Sunstreaker, and to bring this full circle, in that the fists attaching to the wrists are what has become uh, called parts forming in uh, the Transformers fandom. Now, parts forming means that that the change in appearance from vehicle to robot or vice versa requires physically removing a piece and placing it somewhere else as opposed to a piece shifting uh, while still being attached. 
And another figure, and this is the probably the most popular and most important figure, and the main character of the Transformers brand, uh, that had a little bit of parts forming and a little bit of everything, was Optimus Prime. Now, Optimus Prime was the largest of the Autobots uh, introduced in 1984. He was in scale with the uh, rest of the cars. Uh, he had a trailer. He had a drone named Roller. And uh, actually, some of the Autobot cars could even fit in his trailer. Now, Optimus Prime also transformed with a little bit of parts forming in that you would have to plug his fists in. There are a number of variations on those fists and on Roller. Roller came in blue and gray, and those fists came in various sizes. Um, his trailer turned into a repair bay, uh, which could be used both laying down or standing up, and could launch Roller from the center ramp. And that Decepticon leader was Megatron. Now, Megatron was from the Microchange line, so we're shifting gears here from Diaclone back to Microchange. And he turned into a gun. And as I mentioned earlier, this was more of the role-playing aspect of some of the earlier Transformers toys. And uh, it's a toy you would never see today in the United States because of gun laws. Because he looks too realistic and too much like a P-38 Walther. Um, he had a lot of parts. He had a silencer and a scope and uh, a handle. And those parts uh, actually combined to form a stand-up weapon that you could put in front of Megatron. Uh, his transformation, much like a lot of the early toys, didn't really match his uh, show model. But uh, he is certainly a very interesting toy in that it is something you will never see again. Um, in order to uh, even make that toy today, he would have to be a series of very bright, very distinct colors. And even then it would be questionable. Um, Back in the early 2000s, they had toyed with the idea of making Megatron. It's often referred to as safety Megatron. He was blue and neon orange. And uh, there was just simply, and even now, I don't even know if that would pass uh, legally to be released in the U.S. Also of note, though we are sticking with the U.S. toys, uh, the U.S. version uh, did not have the pellet firing feature that was in the original pre-Transformers version or subsequent Japanese versions where you could load a pellet into, a little plastic pellet into Megatron and pull the trigger and fire them. Also in the Decepticon ranks in 1984, another toy that was very popular in the day was Soundwave. Now Soundwave turned into a microcassette player and interacted with the microcassette toys. Uh, that were also released, even came with one, Buzzsaw, the gold uh, condor, who turned into a microcassette. And there were some nice features on Soundwave that really hold up even today. Uh, the toy had a lot of articulation, knees, hips, um, not hips, but thighs, uh, elbows, his head, um, even to some extent his ankles, uh, his shoulders. The toy, for what is essentially a rectangle that turns into a robot, uh, has a lot of places where it can move and be posed. Uh, additionally, the batteries that slide into the battery compartment in the back, much like a real uh, portable cassette player, turn into his uh, shoulder-mounted cannon and his handgun. The cassettes can fit into his chest, and the door opens with a spring latch. And included with him was Buzzsaw, who didn't get a lot of um, 
notoriety being on the show because he was often paired with Laserbeak. Now, Laserbeak's an important character overall, and the toy is a um, straight repaint of the Buzzsaw toy, only in red, and also he turns into a condor. And it's important to note here, especially with the microcassettes, and we'll uh, probably jump to Ravage here. Ravage turned into a Jaguar, uh, black cassette, black Jaguar. And um, Laserbeak, Buzzsaw, Ravage, these are the first toys that turn into beasts and have an alternate mode. They're robotic beasts, and they turn into cassettes. And it was a point of controversy later on whether or not Transformers should turn into beasts uh, during the introduction of Beast Wars in the mid-90s. And we'll discuss that when we get to it. But it's important to note here that it was established from day one that Transformers do turn into beasts. Um, rounding out the microcassettes are Rumble and Frenzy, you know. Rumble and Frenzy turn into uh, robots from cassettes. And depending on whether you believe the toy packaging or the cartoon, Rumble may or may not be red, Frenzy may or may not be blue, or vice versa. But as they were sold as toys, the blue one is Frenzy, and the red one, red and black one, that is, is Rumble. And then rounding out the Decepticon toys for 1984 are... Starscream and the Jets! Now, the Decepticon Jets are the uh, last part we'll talk here in this episode, and they are carryovers from the Diaclone line, which is why they have a cockpit to sit a Diaclone figure. And uh, these represent three characters. They're all based uh, off the same mold, and they're all made from the same mold. And that is Starscream, the uh, Decepticon Air Commander, Skywarp, and Thundercracker. And these are probably the... Um, and these are probably the biggest culprit uh, in parts forming in the early years in that the toy basically unfolds the arms from the midsection of the fuselage of the jet, the cockpit forms the chest and the head as the nose cone flips back and the feet fall down from the back of the fuselage and then the wings reattach, the fists attach and the weapons attach um, by removing them and placing them on the figure. Um, it's also important to note that this trio, uh, which would eventually be called the Seekers, um, but not officially for a very long time, um, is one you'll commonly see today in that if they make a Starscream, it'll ultimately become a Skywarp and a Thundercracker. It doesn't always happen, but it almost always happens. Uh, also worth noting on the bios for these figures, Skywarp's tech spec numbers seem maybe to have been flipped with Starscream's as his rank is a much higher number than Starscream's and Starscream is the uh, the air commander. And Thundercracker is noted to be uh, not convinced of the Decepticon cause which uh, is used in his uh, characterization in the IDW publishing comics today and a uh, very important and integral part to why he's become a fan favorite. And that pretty much wraps up the 1984 toy line. Um, of note, in general, is how Transformers toys uh, came into the world. They represented a number of play patterns, because you could play cars, and you could play action figures, and you can switch between the two at will, um, which certainly fueled the imaginations of many kids in the 80s and all the way through today. 
and probably why these toys had such a huge impact and still carry on today as uh, some of the most important characters in the history of the show and of the toys. And that will wrap up today's show. I am your host, Anthony Brucali of TFU.info. Please uh, be sure to help the site and help the show by swinging by our Amazon link at www.tfu.info slash Amazon. And uh, just remember, anything you buy from Amazon at that point, uh, they'll kick back a few pennies to us and help us. Uh, moreover, if you want to help the site, if you want to help TFU.info with some images, because we are always looking for toy pictures, especially from uh, some of the more modern toy lines uh, from around the world, please swing by tfu.info slash help, and uh, that'll give you uh, all the ways you can help both the site and the podcast. I am your host, Anthony Bricali. You can catch me on Twitter at tfu underscore info, on Facebook at facebook.com slash tfuinfo, and you can always shoot us an email at info at tfu.info. Thanks for listening to the show. We've got more coming up soon. See ya.